rather you live your life in vanity You traded all your hopes and dreams for insanity I'm Father Harry Dean, a priest of the Diocese of Austin, currently serving as chaplain to Cedar Break Retreat Center. With me is Deacon Ronnie Lastavica, a deacon of the Diocese of Austin, who is currently our coordinator of pastoral care for our restorative justice ministry in the Diocese of Austin, serving largely the prisons of the Gatesville, Texas area. We are giving our honor to the Eucharistic revival and the manner in which the Eucharist is present in our ministry to the incarcerated. In our first segment, we addressed the people who are able to have freedom of movement within a given prison unit called general population. And today, we want to restrict the other reality of those who are incarcerated when they find themselves in the parts of the prisons called restricted housing. And that is exactly what it says it is. There are restrictions for these souls that the general population uh, don't have, uh, largely freedom of movement and therefore attendance of mass. And yet, as Deacon Ronnie mentioned in our first session, uh, the Lord finds them. And he uses us as volunteers to be instruments of him reaching people who aren't able to come on their own to worship in the assembly uh, that we have in in our masses. So in the restricted housing, Deacon Ronnie, um, maybe begin by just uh, speaking to us about how is it that you, as a minister of the Eucharist, find out that a given individual in a restricted housing area, whether it's a, a ladies' unit or a gentleman's unit, uh, how do they make contact to, to alert you to the fact that they hunger for the Eucharist to be brought to them? When we first got to Gatesville, soon to be nine years ago, I, I didn't even know there was such thing as restrictive housing. I think if you just drive by any prison unit, you'd think they all live within the uh, boundaries of that fence, and that was it. But um, we soon found out that there's two distinct populations. There's the general population and those that are living in, in, in a, a restrictive housing environment. Um, that being said, um, it, we would get notices or we'd, my first experience of it was I missed someone being at mass. And after about the third time, I just asked the question and it wasn't volunteered to me. But when I asked the question, they answered it and they'd say he or she is, 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 is living over in so and so place. And, um, I had it was more inquiry about where so and so place we'd find out that, well, that's a, that's one of the buildings where restrictive housing population is, is capped. So, it's a controlled space, uh, and talking with chaplaincy and working with uh, the unit uh, wardens, and with with their permission and understanding of what what we were doing, exercising ministry there, we we begin to uh, to make those visits, and it was cell to cell. Uh, we would go to uh, those that were Catholic or those that were not Catholic, but particularly for the Catholic population that had. Uh, requested to to be visited, we we certainly would find them, but in doing that, it gave us an opportunity. It gives us an opportunity to visit with their neighbor of, of any, regardless of their their faith or their profession of faith or tradition, and um, it's really beautiful to see that it, it, it's just the fact that it, it, you know Christ does the work. <laughs> you know, he he's the one that opens the door. He's the one that that um, brings up the conversation. And, and we just supply the presence. Um, and it's um, amazing to me that, that uh, those areas can be at times uh, uh, 
a little um, uncollected, if you will, uh, noisy, uh, very active with just conversation. But um, there's a deep respect that the, the, the men and the women yield to when you're celebrating uh, or, or you're in the exchange of, of Holy Communion with the cellmate or someone that's in their, in their section. It, it, it just gets quiet. And I, I just I ponder that many times, how, how in fact that that's, that ain't thing I'm doing. That's, that's just God's presence. And there's a respect for God, even though that regardless, they may be at different uh, relationships with God. Or they may just acknowledge that they think there is a God, or they may be in a deep, profound relationship with God. But regardless of that, they, there, there's this, this, this holy silence that comes upon that individual and that area when you're there with the Lord. Tell our listeners what the mechanics are, the, the physical, actual, concrete mechanics of what it is uh, to bring Eucharist into these restricted housing areas, and then maybe a little bit about what a typical exchange, you, you mentioned cell to cell, in some of these restricted housing areas, that's going to be a cell with one individual inmate in it. In other areas, it's going to be with two inmates that live together in, in a given uh, area. But just uh, describe for our listeners what the, the concrete kind of physical act of uh, coming into a restricted area and then the cell side exchange. What is what is that like? Sure. The Well, the physical entrance into, for instance, the building itself, um, depending on uh, it's it's controlled, so you're going usually through a, a sally port, and then you've got a crash gate, and then you've got, in particular, uh, uh, um, what we refer to as, as as a pod, if you will, where where the men are housed or the women are housed, and um, within that pod, it may be uh, two tiers or three rows. Um, but a lot of times, we will get a note or we'll get a, a request for a visit, or we'll have a um, on situation with the family member back home where there's, there's been a death or there's been a, a major surgery. Many times that's, that's an encounter that, you know, we, we bring to their attention and, and, and we have the, the privilege of sitting in that sacred moment of just, just, you know, availing ourselves to them. But as they receive that intake of, the, of whatever it is that's going home at back home and it's from that encounter, and it's, and when we're at the desk with those visits, the Lord is there with us. We bring the Lord with us, and it's amazing to see again um, the profound effects that His presence has, uh, the calming effect that it has, just because He's there. And they may not even know that, but they feel something, and they don't know what that is, but it's real. And you can see it. You can see it. Um, what's affirms that for me personally is is they write you back and they want to see you again. They don't know what it is, but there's something there. And we go back and, and, and we go back and we go back. So it's just that, again, that, that, that weekly visit, I'll find you wherever you are and just, just spending time with them. And um, the other thing that we found is that uh, for those that um, had, had been away from the church for a long time and perhaps uh, there's an opportunity um uh, to hear confessions, cell side, uh, as a as a priest, you've done that. <laughs> you've lost count of how many penitents that you've heard uh, in in that environment. Um, the cell's about the size of a, a, a parking lot at your favorite grocery store. It's a very small space, and uh, they uh, they're in there twenty three hours a day. But uh, to see the presence of Christ there and for in their lives on a weekly basis, and then all of a sudden, next thing you know. 
you see uh, the holy card that you gave them last week up on the wall. And then you get to see the next one up on the wall. And the next thing they're, they're doing, there's a little, there's a little home altar that's being built up. And then you see the rosary that's not around their neck, but it's in their hands and they're praying it. And then you see the Bible that's opened up. And all that's, that affirmation that, you know, I didn't do anything. That, that's the Lord working in that soul's life. And he's changed that person. And, and, and he's becoming more of the person that God created him to be. As you go and you spend that Eucharistic moment with them, do you use any aspects of the ritual? Are there certain prayers that you like to pray with them? Kind of outline for our listeners what the order of worship would be at, at a cell side visit. Sure. We use the, um, the, the pastoral care um, ride book for visiting the, the homebound or the sick. And so we, we certainly begin with in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then we would say, you know, simply um, as we stand here today in the presence of the very uh, source himself, our Lord Jesus Christ, we ask them to call to mind their sins. And, and we do a simple, uh, we say, Lord Jesus, um, you healed the sick. Lord, have mercy. Christ Jesus, you came to um, call sinners. Christ, have mercy. And then, Lord Jesus, you show us the way to the Father's house. Lord, have mercy. And, and so there's that penitential act that we, we bring to them which is straight from the right book. And then we, we, we bring uh, the Lord himself, you know, and we say here, here you know, and, and the distribution of communion is, begins with that acknowledgement that uh, he is the Lamb of God, um, Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, have mercy on us. And this is Jesus Christ. This is the Son of God. Behold the Lamb of God. Behold him who takes away the sins of the world. Blessed are those who are called to the supper of the Lamb. And you hear them respond, Lord, I am not worthy. You should enter into my root, but only say the word, and my soul shall be healed. The distribution is actually through a, oftentimes through a steel uh, screen or a grate. Uh, sometimes it's through a, a what they call a tray door, where the door would come down, and uh, the receptor of, receptor of the Eucharist would bring their hands out. We we would never put our hands in, but most of the time it's through the grate. We can break the host, or we can the host is small enough that it could just pass through, and they receive it, and. Um, then there's that moment of silence. You know that this 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 is this is the real deal. This is they have been fed by the source himself, and we just listen to that holy silence as we conclude with a uh, a prayer of thanksgiving. Um, uh, all powerful God, we thank you for the nourishment that you've just given us through this holy gift. Uh, pour out your spirit upon us, and in the strength of this food from heaven, uh, keep us single-minded in uh, your service through Christ our Lord. Amen. And then there's a blessing. I think of what you just described with the actual physical handing over of the consecrated host having to uh, slide him. I've done it many times myself through this uh, grate when you kind of sideways, you don't get to. And I think of how we in the outside world ordinarily receive on our tongue, in our hand, in this moment surrounded by a beautiful sanctuary, a lot of times with beautiful music. And and, uh, I think probably maybe that description is hard. For some of our listeners to hear, might even feel like it's a um, disrespect uh, for the state of the Eucharistic Lord in that host. But what I'd ask our listeners to consider is each moment that you have received the Eucharist, however you do that, if it's in your hand, if it's on your tongue, um, and what that means for you in the restricted housing moment, that's the reality that we have. 
That's the setting, the physical uh, environment in which we are in. It's not a beautiful sanctuary space. There is not a uh, Eucharistic meditational hymn being sung by a choir. It is what Deacon Ronnie described, often uncollected with a lot of noise, and yet an uncollected noisy place that responds to the presence of the Eucharistic Lord such that by the time you get to that moment that you take that consecrated host out of the pics, and uh, put it sideways or, or slantwise through that steel grate, you don't think about it being a denigration to the Eucharist. You think about it being an, an extraordinary moment of the Eucharistic Lord making it to somebody who needs him because that's what the Eucharistic Lord does. He makes it to people who need him. And even better, that the person on the other side of that grate is somebody who's receptive to the need and sees him as truly present in that host, and though he can't or she can't receive in a flat-palmed hand or certainly not with their tongue, they are receiving. And so I would hope for some of our listeners that might be a little unsettled about that environment for the Eucharist itself, just please understand it becomes a holy environment by the presence of Jesus himself. It may not look that holy, and it's certainly not the same look that you would have in a given moment in a, in a sanctuary space in a, an ordinary parish. But the Lord takes care of all of that. Uh, he makes himself the center, not the surroundings. And then he gets into that person who has received him, and he makes that person his center as well, not the person's surrounding. And for me personally, I think it's that transformation for the restricted housing inmate that is among the most profound for bringing the Eucharistic Lord in there, that it transforms their reality, not into some kind of fantasy where they forget where they are, but where they get to renew their sense of worth and dignity because the sacrificial uh, fruit that they're being offered in in that consecrated host reminds them of who they are, even though for whatever reasons they find themselves in the restricted housing moment. And that's a very powerful reality that, that they get to share in that same transformation in a place that none of us would ever want to be. And yet they are there. And, and they're there, as you said, for 23 hours a day. 23 hours a day. And, and some of them have been there for decades of their life and, and to be able to see that um, what, the, what the Lord has, has done to, or, or can, they, they've allowed the Lord to come into their lives and, and change their lives. And um, many of the men and women I've met in those uh, environments are, are much freer people than some of the people that I, I know that are not in prison. And they're, they're, they have uh, yielded totally to that transformation and realizing that um, everything that they have and, and, and will receive it is dependent upon uh, coming from God and God alone. And in some ways, even though for those of us who are just visitors in those areas can have a sense of being unsettled ourselves because it's just so not what we're accustomed to in, in the world, that's where the Lord has been able to reach these particular souls. It's in that environment that they are actually finding that freedom that they sought in disordered ways when they were in the outside world or maybe within the general population that landed them in restricted housing, and yet it forced the issue for them in such a kind of desolate desert-type experience. I mean, it truly is 
uh, like being in a desert because restricted means restricted, which means you don't have a lot of the oasis of other things that are available in general population life and certainly uh, what's available to us on the outside of the prisons. All that's gone. And it really narrows the scope down for the individual about what am I going to find important? What am I going to do to sustain myself now that so much of what I've been accustomed to in my life has been stripped away? And in some ways, it reminds me of novitiates for some of the the religious, the, the stripping away of the identity to build on the founder's spirituality, whether it's Franciscans or Benedictines or whatever it might be, that they become stripped away uh, by virtue of their choices. And yet that lands them in a place that if they so will it, as you so often say, that can become a plus instead of a minus. It's interesting that you brought that up because if you speak to particularly the the cloistered uh, religious uh, communities, um, they refer to their, their, their residence as a cell. Same way the prison, it's a cell. And uh, it's a beautiful transformation to see that spiritually, to watch these inmates that have made that their spiritual cell, where they're able to free themselves from all the distractions that, that whatever they're dealing with on, in, in the free world to bring it and, into a, what, a, a, a letting go of, of everything and, and, and an acknowledgement what they really need is God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that Jesus Christ, Son of God, and Son of Mary is on the scene now, and He's with me right here in this cell. And you can see that we, part of what we do in, in terms of um, bringing, in addition to bringing the Lord Himself, is, is is continuing formation for them as well. And so it's it's usually in, it has to be in some form of a of a, of a handout or a paper or a track or so. But they they begin the good hard work in, in, in going toward, and you can just you can tell it. Um, and their interactions with 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 their neighbors on that run, and and it's just how they carry their lives, and and um, the real joy that we see them and making progress in that direction. Those that are able to um, move back into general population, and that they're no longer living in that restrictive environment, but but the but the change that they made back there goes with them as they go forward or they go home. I know I have some memorable moments in restricted housing uh, ministry in bringing the Eucharist and bringing the sacrament of, of penance and reconciliation. One uh, in particular was a gentleman that um, uh, was really wanting to know more about the writings of St. Augustine. So I brought him a, a book, uh, an anthology on Augustine, and he just you know went through it and he asked for more and asked for more. That catechetical hunger uh, is certainly there, and I have every confidence that that is absolutely lit by the presence of the of the Eucharistic Lord. But another memory was the uh, a, a lady uh, inmate uh, that saw over time our presence there it was when you and me were still working together. And so this lady had a chance to watch us go up and down the rows. Uh, uh, this was a a particular cell block that had one row on a first floor and another row on a on a top floor, and uh, as we've learned over time, um, one of the things that the souls that are there do when volunteers come in is to scrutinize us, to watch what we do, to see how we act, to 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 gauge us, to see are are we worthy of their trust, uh, and of letting us into their lives because we have entered into a, a, a very private place, uh, yes, and private by design, right. And this particular lady, over time, began to 
uh, make inquiries, uh, talk with us as we came by. We began to identify that she was showing more and more interest until at one point, after quite a long time, I'd say a couple of years, Mm -hmm. uh, she asked for sacraments of initiation. I know you know who I'm talking about. And so we got to celebrate sacraments of initiation in a cell block with an individual and um, if I'm remembering correctly, did they allow her out of the cell, or did we do that between the bars? No, she came. She came out into the inside rec cage. Okay. And um, but I'll never forget because that that particular pod was um, characteristically a rather noisy yes. uh, community. Yes. And on that particular Sunday, uh, it was the feast of uh, Corpus Christi, in which she received these sacraments. Uh, you could hear a pin drop, and that was that was just a really powerful experience and and all the women in there regardless of their 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 faith or that they didn't believe in god at all uh they showed a sacred reverence for what she was she was engaging in and saying yes to and it was just a very beautiful experience it was astounding yeah it it was was absolutely astounding because again for our listeners you know deacon ronnie and i going in there uh week after week after week and that same particular pod restless unsettled noisy um, some you know, crude, rude, all those things. You just kind of begin to tune it out as you go about the the work of bringing the Lord to in, the different individuals that are open on that given weekend, and then to have that happen, it just catches you. You you realize as you're going through the rites of the church, as is your duty as an ordained minister, that there's something else going on here, and it, it's the attentiveness of an entire pod to an individual's journey, looking at what's going on. And, and uh, it kind of reminds me of the scene, I think it's in Acts of the Apostles, where the, the poor guard goes in to fetch the apostles and, and, and they're unchained. You know, they're not there anymore. And he starts to take his life and they say, no, don't do it. We're, you know, we're here. But it's because the angel of the Lord has set them free. That moment of her sacramental entrance into full communion reminds me of that moment that the angel had come and set her free. And even though she still lived the restricted housing life as a person convicted of a crime, paying her debt to society, it still was a movement of the love of the Lord eucharistically uh, that w- that broke through all of that. And, and it broke through because she asked. And the church, in your person and mine, was there to respond. Yes, and, and the church um, beautifully comes to them um, most gratefully— through this medium that we're participating in ourselves today, and that's the power of of of, of, of radio. Um, when you're in restrictive housing, one of the two things that you have that are of great value to you, one of which is a fan, <laughs> of course, and, in, and then your radio. I can't tell you the number of souls that I've run into that uh, that are not of uh, of our uh, Christian Catholic profession of faith that listen to Red Sea Radio. Or armor of God radio, they're 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 tuned into it. Um, for our Catholic community, that's a way for them to engage in um, the liturgy uh, through um, the recorded masses that they listen to, have through EWTN, and then the fact that the week we, we the Eucharist now comes to them during the week, and so they're they really are um, very very much uh, connected more to us perhaps than we are at times with with their dedicated. Um, listening, if you will, to to the good programming that comes to them, and I've, I've witnessed that uh, many, many times. I've, I've seen that that they, they they're up at three in the morning, you know, and, and um, 
praying the divine mercy uh, at three in the afternoon. I mean, they're very faithful to the practices. And for our non-incarcerated listening audience, the ability for them to hear the same thing that you're hearing in your home, not in a prison, uh, is very um, mirror to me, is, is a mirror of the oneness that we share in the Eucharistic it, it itself. As these airwaves go out, uh, they go through bars and, 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 and gates and locks as they go through your window into your into your home, or if you're streaming or however it is you receive this signal. And yet the same state uh, of affairs, you outside the prison, they inside the prisons, is being met by by what you're all hearing right now, just like the Eucharistic Lord is when we receive, because we are receiving him as a body of Christ, however Jesus finds us on that day. Thankfully for the majority of our listeners, it's not in restricted housing. But if you happen to find yourself there, you join the majority of our listeners, even right. though you are. You're restricted in housing, but you're not restricted in your sharing in the body of Christ. That's true. It, it's it's just a beautiful thing to see that, that how um, connected we become in that regard. That, 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 that community is extended to there as well. And um, the... The good practices that they began and listened to and 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 adopt uh, through um, the programming that they're attuned to is just is incredible. Um, I just and there's a hunger for it. Um, what I've noticed too is is it's contagious. Uh, they've got folks on the other side of them listening to the same programming now, and and now they're talking about it during the during the day and during the weeks. And they'll remind me of what season of the year we're in and what's coming up, and (laughs) they stay on top of it very well. Yes, I I recall many a time of actually someone bringing up to me an oncoming solemnity or something like that, and I'd say privately to myself, I haven't even started my homily prep on that yet, so I better get get, get going. You know, thank you for for reminding me because— in, in many cases, in restricted housing in particular, those of you who are there and hearing the sound of our voices, you know that that means a lot of time, time to focus on other things than what the rest of us find. Um, uh, you don't have the things that we chase after. Uh, and as a result, you have time to focus potentially, if the discipline is there, on the higher things and instead of the more mundane and and, and not so, so higher things. And uh, while it may not seem like it, that's actually a, a gift of being in that circumstance. It is a grace of being there because they'll mention by their own admission to many times they'll say there was a time where I, I didn't care. Uh, but the, about now I know the difference and I, I've experienced the difference and I, I long to live this way. What I really need is, 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 is what you bring me and that's the Lord himself. And I would want all of us, myself included, to remember that in those worst moments of our lives, in the more stressed moments of our lives, in the, gee, I feel like my life's out of control and it's going from bad to worse moments of our lives, we don't always stay there and we do move from them. But the one thing that doesn't change is the presence of the Lord in the Eucharist so long as we seek him and go to him and find him. And thanks be to God through the ministry that you continue to provide 
they get to do that even though they can't physically go forward and seek him. There is at least in the system in which they are living in an incarcerated institution an availability to reach out in the formal way that they do so that you can respond when you go to that chapel and and, and the chaplain hands you the pieces of papers with names and cell numbers on them, and that's their way of, of getting to you. So that we all get to be able to say, the Lord's going to reach me no matter where I'm at, physically, spiritually, and in the other aspects of my life. Well, let us uh, bring this discussion today on the Eucharist among our incarcerated population to a close. Um, In our last episode, we looked at the general population, those who have freedom of movement in the prison, and today those who do not in what is called restricted housing. Uh, In our next episode, Deacon Ronnie and I would like to share with all of our listeners what it has been like to bring the Catholic understanding specifically of Eucharist into an arena and an environment in these prison systems where people are living next to, working side by side with, eating with, uh, going about their daily life in their dorms or restricted housing with folks that are from other Christian communions, other world religions, or even things that don't have anything to do with a God practice at all, and how the Eucharist transforms even that uh, environment. And so we call upon the Eucharistic Lord to assist us as we try to understand one another and how we have so many things that are different, and yet the one thing that brings us all together is our love for the Lord and His love for us that He offers us to to us in the Holy Eucharist, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. If you walk with me, brother.